The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church slash contact. Psalm 104 says this, O Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. When you give them your breath, life is created. And you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. Isaiah 43 says this, Listen to the Lord who created you. The one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. And uh, each week of this series, I've shared some passages with you from all over the Bible, because if you're here and you're a Christian, if you're here and you're a Jesus follower, if you say you believe the Bible and you want to follow what it says, I want you to know that the glory of God is littered all throughout the pages of the Bible. His creative, artistic work at the beginning of time is littered all throughout the pages of the Bible. This isn't just something in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It's all throughout God's Word that He is the Maker And he has displayed his glory, not so we can think it's cool and not so, uh, uh, you know, we'll just be entertained or have something to look at that's pretty, but so we'll see how great it is and think, if it's that great, how much greater is he, the one who made it, that we'll see his glory on display. And so uh, what I did, I wasn't thinking about this, but just the other day I thought I'm going to do this. So I went through and I put together pretty much all the verses I used in this series outside of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and they're in a packet back there at the back at the offering box table. So if you want one of those, you can grab them on the way out. Be a good thing to read through with your kids or your grandkids to study back through the whole idea of God being the creator and what that means, the implications that means, and and, uh, just kind of refresh and remind yourself, like, I can't just tear out the first three chapters of the Bible and, and believe what the world says and then think I'm okay with the rest of the Bible. No, this stuff is everywhere in God's word that he is the creator. He is the maker. It doesn't matter what the world says what a teacher told you, what a scientist says they can prove. Um, It matters what God says. And so uh, as soon as one of those people rise from the dead, I'll believe what they say too. But until then, I'm going to bank on Jesus. And so uh, if you want to pick one of those up on your way out, you can. But each week I've been just trying to share some verses with you and kind of share God's glory with you so you could see it. And uh, so to wrap up the series today, what I'd like to do is a little like, some, give out some prizes. It is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. That's the closest to like addressing Father's Day we're going to get today. Uh, somebody asked me once, like, why don't we do like uh, sermon-specific holidays, you know what I mean, like on holidays? And I said, because we're not here to just like celebrate those people. We're here to like worship Jesus. So it's not wrong to do like a Father's Day sermon, but it's just we don't typically do that. We just kind of study God's Word and uh, whatever comes, comes. But let's do this just for Father's Day today. How about this? I'm going to ask some questions, review the series with you. We'll see who's been paying attention for the last four weeks up until today. And uh, if you get the answer right, I got some mega candy bars to give you. You don't even have to share those with your kids or wife, right, because it's Father's Day. So we'll have Dad's answer first on the first one, right? So uh, we've been reviewing some stuff. Before we do that, I want to give you the three um, kind of concepts I've been talking to you about every single week of the series. They keep popping up over and over again. You're going to hear them again today um, throughout this sermon too. But uh, the first one was that God's glory is on display, right? The glory of God's available for anyone who has eyes to see it. 
And some people see God's glory and they don't see God at all. And other people see it and they see his greatness and his bigness. And so it's available every week of this series. We're putting it on display. We're giving you scientific evidence. We're showing you pictures and words. We're talking to you about what Jesus has said. We're talking to you about what actually happened back in the beginning. We're trying to give you evidence and facts from God so you can see his glory. But you've got to have eyes to see it. That leads us into the second one, which is your worldview. Your worldview always determines how you interpret evidence. And so if you come into um, the evidence of creation and your worldview is that you're an atheist and there is no God, then you might have trouble seeing God's creativity in what he's made because you don't even believe there is a God. But if your worldview is that there is a God and there's a maker, and, and so you look at this evidence, you think, yeah, it's obvious to me that God has made stuff. And so, you know, you see a mountain and you think somebody must have made that. And somebody else with a different worldview sees that mountain and thinks it just happened. And so your worldview determines how you will interpret evidence. Hang on to that one. We're coming back to that one at the end today. But. And then the third one was this idea that God is beautiful and good and true. And that is who God is. That's what he does. That's what he's all about. But it's also the exact same thing the whole world attacks. Every attack that's made in the world on God is all about one of these three things. They're attacking his beauty or his goodness or his truthfulness. And they're trying to tell you that he's ugly, that he's bad, that his instructions are bad, that he's against you, that, that the things he says can't even be trusted. If there is a God, that what he's saying is untrustworthy. And so there's this truth and beauty and goodness to God that we're trying to teach through and show you and, and explain to you and present evidence to you for but at the same time, the world's trying to rip all that stuff away and say that none of that is right. None of that is good. None of that is beautiful. It's all ugly and, and, and false. And uh, so we've, this is the fifth week. And back on week one, I shared with you guys kind of three Christian concepts. If you're going to have a Christian worldview, it's important for you to latch onto these three things, not let the world rob them from you. Not let some fancy college professor con you into thinking he was around three billion years ago to tell you what really happened, but to believe these things because God said them and sure enough, he rose from the dead. So he gets a little bit more cred than my freshman chemistry professor or biology professor, okay? So here's the first one. See if you can help me out that God created everything out of blank. If you're a dad, you gotta be a dad, Allison. That's strike one. That's strike one. All right. You got to be a dad. God created everything out of nothing. Can you be my runner? That goes to Gus. Yeah, that uh, God created everything in the blank. Got any more dads that can remember that? God created everything in the... <laughs> that wasn't right, was it? <laughs> All right, yeah, God created everything in the beginning, in the beginning. So you're going to hear all kinds of people out in the world tell you that it wasn't the beginning. There were billions of years before Adam and Eve, right? You're going to hear Christians trying to take what the world says and force it into God's word, even though it's not there. And if in the beginning isn't the beginning, I don't know how else God could have said it to say it was the beginning. So in the beginning is when God created everything, right? And then uh, God creates with his blank. Anybody remember that one? Any dads? Remember that? All the non-dads. Like, <laughs> any, any dads remember that one? Any dads? God created with his, with his words. See, it paid off. Paid off. Did Lee give you the answer? Yes. Lee gave you the answer. Oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah, God created 
everything out of nothing. God created in the beginning, and God created with the power of his words. Uh, these things are different than anything we've ever done or could ever do. We can't create out of nothing. We weren't around back at the beginning to make anything out of nothing anyhow, even if we could. And uh, we don't have the ability to create things with our words. But that'd be super cool if we could, huh? But uh, God can just speak and it happens. And those things are important if you're going to be a Christian to latch onto those principles and those truths. Then in week two, we kind of tacked on the last day of creation and said that God created something extra blank. This doesn't have to be a dad. It's going to be a non-dad. Something extra special. What was the extra special thing? Do you remember? What was it? No. We'll still give you that because you got the answer, but that's a strike. <laughs> Humans. Yeah, you're the extra special thing. Yeah, you're the extra special thing. Us, right? Humanity. God created something extra special. And then uh, last week, if you were here, we talked about that God, was that last week? No. Week three, week three, I can't remember, I'm getting confused now. Week three, that God made an amazing blank for his humanity. What was it? Anybody remember? An amazing one. I'll accept a couple of different answers for this one. Pretty far away, somebody will have to bring it to you if you get it. No, you can't answer. You got the answers right in front of you. An amazing home, yeah, amazing home for humanity. I would have also accepted Garden or Eden for that. So we're, we're, the judges up here are very lenient on this stuff, all right? Very lenient. All right, and then uh, last week, you, re you remember, we, humanity, messed it all up. Adam and Eve sinned and kind of broke God's commandment, disobeyed God, and uh, they messed it all up. And I said last week that they believed the big lie. And so uh, we spent the whole week last week talking about what is the big lie. Does anybody think they can get this one? This would be a tricky one. What is the big lie that Adam and Eve believed? Oh, excellent. Yeah, that God is not beautiful, good, or true. That's the big lie. We still buy into the same big lie today. Every time we disobey God, every time we go opposite of what he says to do, we've decided that one of these things about him is not true, that he's not beautiful, he's not good, or he can't be trusted to be honest. And so we decide to take matters into our own hands and go after our own stuff. That's pretty good. You guys got all of those. Pretty rare that we get all the answers on something like that, so... Pretty impressive for Father's Day. So, but uh, if you want to follow along with us today, we're going to wrap up this series, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at the last nine verses of Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. And um, we're going to look at what I called today the fallout. So Adam and Eve have sinned. They've messed everything up. If you were here last week. You heard me say, don't be too critical of them. We would have done the exact same thing had we been in their situation. Um, we're not any better than they were. And so we would have messed up the same ways they messed up. But today we're going to look at the fallout. We looked at a little bit, kind of hinted at it last week when God addresses the serpent and uh, doles out some punishment for the serpent's sin. But today he's going to talk specifically to Adam and Eve. And I've called this the fallout. And so um, as I was reading through those nine verses this week, I kept noticing some different types of fallout. And I want to share those with you, and then we'll look at them in the Bible together so you can see them in God's Word, not just from me. But I, I kind of identified three different types of fallout from Adam and Eve's sin. It's probably the exact same fallout we're all experiencing today. But let me show you all, all of them as we go along, and then we'll look at the passages together. The first one, we'll start in verse 16, and it's the fallout of pain. So this is the first consequence of their sin, pain. Anybody ever felt pain? Everybody but Emmanuel. Emmanuel's like, I don't feel no pain. Too strong for that. 
But uh, yeah, pain, right? So the fallout of pain. Let me read it to you and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Starting in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 3. Then he said, he is God. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth. Just side note, I've I learned a couple things in my life, Opie. Here's, here's the, I want to give you what they are. Okay? The first one is, from the front, don't make fun of my wife. I don't do that because then that creates like a whole day or two worth of drama at my house. So I don't do that. The second one, almost equally important, don't make fun of pregnant people from the front. All right, just throwing it out there. That's, that's bonus material today, Opie. Just to throw that out there. So don't make fun of your wife or pregnant people from the front. It could cause you grief down the road. So, but, um, so here we are, and he says, you're going to have pain in childbirth, and, uh, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Don't get all worked up if you're here and you're a feminist. We'll come back to that one. Verse 17, and to the man, he said, since you listen to your wife, and don't be that guy that rips stuff out of context in the Bible, because if you rip that out of context and stop reading right there, you'd see that Adam was getting punished because he listened to his wife. That's not what's being said there. But because you listened to your wife and disobeyed, right, and disobeyed and sinned uh, and took from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were, for you were made from dust and to dust you will return. All right, so this is God's, he's doling out some consequences for their disobedience, their sin. And this first one is pain. So let me just sum up for you like what the pain was, right? So the first one's super easy. I don't think you'll hardly find anybody in the world who disagree with that first one being in existence. But he kind of says childbirth is painful. It's going to be painful. And not just childbirth. He actually says like pregnancy is going to be difficult too. And anybody that's ever been pregnant, you know that that's true, right? It's, it's a challenge. It's difficult. It's painful. And then the birth itself is also going to be painful. And so this is part of the consequence or the fallout from Adam and Eve's sinful choice in the garden. But then he goes on and he says, uh, you're going to desire to control your husband, but your husband's going to rule over you. Let's just, uh, I don't want to like get bogged down on that today. I just want to give you like my short version of what he's saying there. You ready? You're going to desire to control your husband so that you can have relational wholeness and oneness. But he's going to resist it. And he's going to rule over you and bully you and abuse you. You got it? All right. So let me just ask you, before anybody like disagrees, how many ladies do you think there are in this world that have tried their hardest to get their husband to press into the relationship? I'm not saying it's everybody, but you think that happens a little or a lot? I mean, we've done a lot of marriage counseling. It's pretty often. It's pretty rare that the husband shows up, wants to work on the marriage, and the wife is like, no, I'm done. I'm not working on anything. It's usually the other way around. I'm just saying these are the statistics. The wife is usually the one trying to drag the husband to church. She's usually the one trying to get him to work on the relationship. He's usually the one going stone cold silent and sitting in his garage or his couch. Usually. It's not always like that, but it's often like that. This was the prediction. There's going to be tension in your marriage. You're going to try as hard as you can to have relational oneness. And he's not going to care. He's going to fight you on it. He's going to resist it. He's going to abuse you. And how many abuse situations are women abusing their husbands? Pretty rare. It happens. 
but it's pretty rare. Whoever marries Lily, it'll be that way, but it's pretty rare for most of us. Oh, I did the same thing, Opie. So, but usually it's the husband abusing their wife, right? This is the problem. This is the fallout. That you're not going to be able to have this relational unity and oneness that you want. It's going to be a struggle. And, and ladies, you're going to try as hard as you can to control the situation. But he's going to rule over you in it. He's going to act like he can't even hear what you're saying. This is part of the fallout. Painful. Now stay with me for a second. Might be some people disagree on that one. Then he turns to Adam and he gives him the fallout for him. He says, hey, you're gonna, it's going to be super difficult to work. I don't know. Hopefully most people agree with that. Work can be difficult. Even if you have a job you love, sometimes work is difficult. And then he goes on and he says, on top of that, there's going to be resistance from everything in creation against you in that work. Not only is it going to be difficult and challenging for you, but everything in the world is going to fight against you. Now I ask you, how many guys go to work each day dreading it, feeling like this is just going to be a difficult challenge today? And how many people have been at any point in their life sitting somewhere thinking to themselves, why does it feel like everything in creation is fighting against me? Haven't we all felt that stuff? This is the pain of our sin. Now think about those things for a second. How much of your pain in life revolves around those, through those things? Your, your pregnancy, your childbirth, your marital or dating relationship, your uh, job or career or the work you even do around your house or things like that. Um, and then just that overall sense of like the world's kind of kicking back against me. Like, man, it makes sense. We're still experiencing this pain today. These consequences are personal to Adam and Eve. They're going to experience them until they die, until they return to the dust he made them out of. And here's the second piece of the fallout. I called it suffering. There's suffering in the fallout. Let me read it to you. Verses 20 and 21. It says, Then the man Adam named his wife Eve. That's not the suffering. Hang on. We covered that back in week one because she would be the mother of all who live. Eve literally sounds like the Hebrew word that means to give life. And so she would become the mother of all humanity. And so whenever somebody's like, no, we all come from different ancestors. Or, no, God says we all come from Eve. Multiple times in the Bible, right? She's the mother of all of humanity. So he names her Eve. And then he goes on in verse 21 and he says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now, where'd God get the animal skins? He killed some animals, right? And, and so you got recorded here like the first kill. God kills these animals to provide animal skins for Adam and Eve to help cover up their shame. Now, think about it for a second. Why did God do that? If you remember from last week when Adam and Eve sinned, they instantly felt shame and fear. And what did they do? They hid from God and they covered themselves up with fig leaves. Now, why didn't God just let them wear fig leaves? They were covered. Here's this foreshadowing event again where God is showing us this picture that's going to play out throughout the rest of his word that the innocent would die to cover up the shame of the guilty. Those animals hadn't done a thing. But God kills them to give animal skins to humanity to cover the shame that came from their choice to disobey. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? 
that he would live and be innocent, but he would die to cover up our sin. So here's this next example of God foreshadowing the coming Christ in the suffering. But here you have this kind of societal suffering. Those animals don't deserve to die. But that's always how sin works. See, Adam and Eve's sin, it looked kind of cute. And they thought, well, it would just be something that would benefit them. It would just be confined to them. But it spilled out into the rest of their society, didn't it? And that's always how sin works. You think it's just going to affect you, but it always affects all the people around you. There's always suffering for the people in your life when you choose to disobey God. It's still going on today. Societal suffering. Here's the third piece of fallout that shows up in this account. Death. Death. Let me read it to you, starting in verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. Sure enough, we know good and evil now. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. Verse 23, So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim, that's just a type of angel, mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is a death sentence. This is a death sentence. No longer can they eat from the tree that was keeping them alive forever. So they're kicked out. They're banished. God banishes them from the very place he created just for them. It's this ripple effect now that goes down throughout history. That all of us experience death because of Adam's sin. From Adam and Eve till the end of time, everybody will die because of this disobedience. How do I know that? How do I know that's why I die? Because the Bible tells me. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I mentioned this verse back in week 1. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Stay with me. This was one of the problems I gave us way back in week one. If you're going to say, I believe the earth is billions and billions of years old and that there were dinosaurs around for billions and billions of years before Adam and Eve, then how'd they all die before sin? So now you not only disagree with Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you disagree with Romans too. See, if you're going to be a Christian and try to fit the world's philosophy into God's truth, then you're going to have a big problem believing what the Bible says. You can't just tear out three pages because it's all over the place. The progression is that Adam shows up, Adam sins, death comes into the world, death passes down to everyone. I love how he tacks on at the end because all of us have sinned to kind of remind us like you can't really just blame Adam because you sin too. We're all messed up. But you get it as a consequence, death. It's this universal consequence. And so you see these three things, personal pain and societal suffering and universal death, and just kind of flash them all on the screen for a second. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't know, maybe you disagree with a little bit here and there about how we laid those things out. I don't know. But to me, those things seem pretty clear in the text that there's pain and suffering and death as a result or as the fallout to Adam and Eve's sin. But you have these three things, and I think a lot of people in our world, maybe some of the people here in our room, 
would look at those three things and they would say, a good God wouldn't do that. I mean, there's nothing beautiful about that. That's ugly. And and I can't trust anything he says because a God that would let all this pain and suffering and death happen, he's not a very trustworthy God. And so the world looks at these things and they think to themselves, and maybe some of us in the church look at these things and they think, God can't really be that beautiful or that good or that true because there's so much pain and suffering and death. It's easy to do that. But, but just stay with me for a second. Leave those up on the screen just for a second. Let's go back through each of the three real quick together and, and maybe look at them with some different perspective. Just for a second, okay? This week at our house, we built a swing set, okay? And uh, shout out to Noah and Carson. They helped me for one and a half minutes. Carson helped me for three minutes. Noah helped me for one and a half minutes. Because Carson and I picked up the swing set and Noah waited a minute and a half to pick it up and help us, okay? So, and we almost dropped it, but. So we built a swing set at my house and it was hard. I felt the difficulty of work, right? There was challenges to it. Stuff didn't go my way the whole time and I had to adjust on the fly and kind of labor and sweat and it was hot out and, and it took me a good chunk of the day on Monday or whatever, I think it was Monday, Tuesday, I can't remember now whatever day we blocked out for it. And, uh, but we got it done. It's still not quite done. I still got a little bit more work to do on it, but I got it done enough that they could use it. And so the swing sets up, the ground's fairly level, the mulch is down, the swings are hanging, kids are amped, and they're out there swinging the rest of the week, right? Now, when I was done building that swing set, I was tired, I had a little pain. In fact, I'm pretty old, and so I still got a little pain. I'm being honest from it. I'm still feeling a little bit my shoulders and legs. And, uh, and it hurt a little bit. It was difficult. And, and there was even a moment, I, and I know I'm your pastor, but like there was even a moment where I threw the hammer. And I thought to myself, why? Why are you fighting against me, world? Right? Th- this is the pain of sin that the world's going to fight against me and that work is going to be difficult and painful and challenging, right? But when I got the swing set done, what do you think I did? I'll tell you. I went and I sat on our back deck, called the kids. They went out to the swing set. I sat down on a chair, turned a fan on. I got a drink and I stared at the swing set. And I was thinking to myself, it's pretty doggone good. That's what I was thinking, right? I mean, I'm no pro, but look what I created, right? I'm thinking, you know, I'm cast away around the bonfire, you know. And uh, because it was painful, but in the pain, when I got the job done and I completed some of the work, I was able to sit back and think like, there's a little bit of beauty even in that pain, wasn't there? And so we work and it's painful, but somehow... God managed to figure out a way to work some beauty into the pain of work. And when you've built something or you've finished a job or you've completed some task at work, isn't there a little sense of kind of satisfaction inside of you of like, wow, I, I did something kind of cool there. On the other side of that, it's easy to see that, right? How many ladies would 
argue with the fact that there's pain in childbirth and there's pain in pregnancy and and, and it's, 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 it feels like the world's fighting against you and, and you're hurting and it's difficult. But, but then they take that baby and they clean the baby up. And they wrap the baby in a little blanket and they bring the baby to you and you hold the baby against you. And how many moms have looked at that baby and thought to themselves, she or he, it's beautiful. That even in all of that pain, there was something beautiful. Huh. Is it possible that one person could look at childbirth and see nothing but pain, but somebody else could look at it and see beauty? Is it possible that somebody could look at work and see nothing but difficulty and pain and hardship, and somebody else could look at it and see something beautiful that came out of it? Is it possible that your perspective affects what you see when you observe the evidence of pain? Let's go to the next one. He said uh, there's going to be some suffering, societal suffering. It's, it's going to spill out around you onto all the people in your life. And, and uh, it's not just going to be confined to you. And, and it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect those you love and those in your sphere or around you. And so God kills these innocent animals to provide skins for Adam and Eve to wear to cover up their shame. And that looks so bad doesn't it? But if you think about it, the story could have went down different. God could have just kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden and said, wear your fig leaves so they get holes in them. He could have just said, fend for yourself. I'm done with you. He could have wiped them off the face of the earth, said, I'm starting over. But what did he do? In that moment, the first thing God did was he took care of his kids. Even though they had been bad, he still did something good for them. You could see that piece of the account and think, that's not very good. Those animals didn't deserve to die. Or you could see that piece of the account and you could think, look, even when they were at their worst, God still treated them good, provided for them. And so even when we're at our worst, he's like, I'm going to send Jesus to die for you. When you're unfaithful, I'll be faithful. When you're bad, I'll still be good. Isn't it true that you could look at this seemingly bad event, this societal suffering that comes from their sin. And if your perspective was one way, you could almost see it as like providence, a goodness of God taking care of his kids. How about the last one, death? I know it's ugly. It seems cruel for God to curse us with death. I mean, after all, all they did was eat a piece of fruit, right? But look closer. Look closer again. By allowing them to die, wasn't God actually keeping his promise? Didn't he promise them, if you obey me, you'll live. If you disobey me, you'll die? So by letting them die, isn't there actually something truthful in that promise? Doesn't it mean if he's going to allow his children to die, that he created the apple of his eye, the the extra special thing he made, if he can be trusted to keep his word then, can he be trusted to keep his word all the time? And you could look at these three things that God lets fall out on humanity and you could think he's so ugly and he's so bad and he's so untrustworthy. Or you could look at all three of them and you could think, no, I, I can see some beauty 
I can see some goodness. I can see some truth, some trustworthiness in there. Do you see it? Do you see that your worldview affects the way you interpret these same events, the evidence? That we're talking about the exact same fallout, but where one person sees pain, somebody else sees beauty. And where one person sees suffering, another person sees God's goodness. And where somebody sees nothing but death, somebody else sees God keeping his word and being truthful. You see it? How your worldview affects or determines if you can see God's beauty and goodness and truthfulness, or if you see ugly, cruel unfairness. It decides if you see a creator or if you see random accidents around you. It's all the same evidence, but it's completely different conclusions. Do you see it as we've gone through the series? Do you see the foreshadowing of how God is taking this account, the creation account, and even when he's disobeyed, even when man does their own thing, he's using it all to foreshadow the coming Christ? And he says, yeah, the devil's going to win some battles, but Jesus is going to win the war. The devil's going to bruise his heel, but the Messiah is going to crush the devil's head. That, that yeah, you're going to mess up, but I'm going to kill an innocent to cover up your shame and sin. You can see the Jesus story all throughout the creation account. I can't rip out any parts of my Bible because every single part of it points to Jesus. Every single piece of the creation points to Jesus. Every single emotion and special quality about humanity points to Jesus. That he is so powerful and he is so great and he is so loving. That he is so beautiful and he is so good and he is so true. It all points to Jesus. Death seems to be all around you, but an innocent one will die in your place. Pain and sin appear to be winning the day. But through Jesus, grace and righteousness have already won the war. How do I know it's all connected? Because it doesn't say the word Jesus anywhere in Genesis chapter 3. But how do I know it's connected? Because God told me. Can I go back with you to Romans chapter 5? Let me read you just two verses. Great chapter. The the whole chapter connects Genesis 1, 2, and 3 to Jesus' life. But let me just read you two more verses from Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord pain and suffering and death. They're all around us. But there's hope. There's still hope. If you will receive Jesus. That's it. You can't be good enough. You can't obey enough commands. But you can receive Jesus. You can say to Jesus, I believe you're enough to save me. That I'll never be good enough to get to heaven. And in that moment, he takes your place in death. And you get life instead. You can say to Jesus, 
I will give up everything I am and follow you. And in that moment, he takes away all your sin and gives you grace. He covers up all your shame. He died in your place so you don't have to experience death. He died in your place so you don't have to live with the pain. He died in your place so you don't have to deal with all the suffering. We get glimpses of that glory now. Every time I die to myself and I treat my wife with self-sacrificial love, I get a glimpse of that glory. Every time I look around at creation and I credit God for having made something so amazing and having been so powerful, I get a glimpse of that glory. Every time I do a job well done at whatever I'm doing, as if I'm doing it with excellence as under the Lord, I sit back and I see the finished product and I get a glimpse of that glory. But one day I'll get it all. One day I'll walk and talk with him just like Adam and Eve did. I'll see him face to face. I'll be changed to be just like him. I'll get all the glory. I get a shadow of it now. But one day I'll see him face to face and we'll all be changed to be just like him. I don't get it because I'm good or because I earn it. I get it because I ask him to save me instead of trying to do it on my own. And I surrender control of my life to him instead of trying to do it my own way. That's it. Simple. Like a Rubik's Cube. I could tell you how to do it in five seconds, but it'd take you your whole life to figure out how to do it. That's the Christian experience. And so I'm asking you today, are you trying to save yourself by being good enough? Or are you trying to flip your middle finger up in God and do it your own way? Because neither one will work. I surrender who I am to God's control and I cry out to him and only him to save me. That's your choice with God's word today. That is Genesis 1 through 3. It's not about fig leaves and apple trees. It's about everything pointing to Jesus, the only innocent one who could die for you. Will you receive him today and experience life? Or will you continue to live in pain and suffering and death? The choice, as always, three strands, is yours. Always. My job isn't to convince you to follow Jesus. My job is just to give you the truth and grace of Jesus. You get to do whatever you want with it. You get to go out the door and be a doer of the word or a hearer only. I hope you'll be a doer of the word. I hope you'll take what God has said in this series. You'll embrace it. You'll experience life and stop living in death. I love you guys. Let me pray over you. Can I do that? Dear Heavenly Father, would you bless our church right now? Would you bless them with the wisdom and the understanding it'll take to have eyes to see your word and to, to ingest it and to embrace it? God, will you give them the courage it'll take to go out of this room and declare it for the rest of their lives? That they're with Jesus, no turning back. That they're following your son no matter what it costs them. That they're trusting in you and not their own goodness for eternity and salvation. Would you transform people in our church, God? Don't let our enemies triumph over us. Don't abandon us and leave us alone. Keep pouring out your truth and grace. Keep revealing your glory in creation, in our conscience, in our conversations, in our hearts. Keep revealing yourself so we can see the real you. So people will keep running to you for help, for deliverance, for life. God, would you give us that today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.